Uh, I want to start a new series today. You were uh, embracing the chase. I want to talk about chasing Jesus. I want, I want to talk about passion. I want to talk about risk. I want to talk about your heart running hard after Jesus. And um, last week I asked permission if I could sort of pastor you and sort of give direction uh, and maybe give some purpose to the season that we're in. Um, this week I'm asking you this. I want to communicate heart to heart. I don't have a lot of profound things to say. I don't know if I have anything to say that you've never heard before. What I'm asking is this morning as I'm speaking, can you let your heart hear my heart and hopefully the Lord's heart? So what, what is the Lord saying beyond what I'm saying? Is this, how does it apply to you? Is he calling you deeper? Um, so I'm asking you to not just be entertained by the words that I speak. Let's not let this be a mental exercise, but I, I'm, I'm extending an invitation. That spontaneous moment in worship when Jed was singing, um, if you're thirsty, the spirit and the bride say, come. I just, I'm preaching a message of invitation, come. And so um, I'm asking you from your heart, from your spirit, can we, can we communicate spirit to spirit, heart to heart today, not just mind to mind. Let's not make an exchange of information today. I'm praying that the words that the Lord has given me would ignite something in our hearts today to run hard after him. I want to start by reminding you of something. You were designed for the chase. You were made to pursue God. You were made to run hard with reckless abandon after him. I love uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I love this line. Um, this, this is um, so beautiful, so profound. And if we could tailor everything we do in our life, if this could really be the bedrock of our purpose and foundation for our life, it would be amazing. Listen to this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The ultimate purpose for your life is to enjoy God. To pursue him and enjoy him and glorify him. You were designed to enjoy him. I don't know about you. I grew up in the church. And if you would have asked five-year-old me or 10-year-old me, what's the purpose of your life? I don't know if I would have come to the conclusion that enjoyment was the purpose of my life. The purpose of my life is to not do bad things and hopefully do some good things. The purpose of my life is to obey God, follow the rules, be a good Christian. But the truth is, you were made to pursue him and enjoy him. And this word chase, I kind of love, I love this word. It kind of provokes different kinds of images in all kinds of people. But I want you to imagine it's recess at school and we're playing tag. This is what we're talking about with chasing God, embracing the chase. When you're a kid and you're playing tag and you're running after someone, no one else exists, nothing else. I'm after that kid and I'm going to touch him. 
everything I've got. I'm not holding back. Everything I've got. And if you're really having fun, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you're playing as a kid and you're having so much fun, you're laughing and you're running and you're trying to give it everything you've got, but you're having so much fun and you're laughing so hard that you can hardly stay on your feet. That's the image I want you to picture this morning. Embracing the chase. I'm not talking about working hard and being super holy. I'm talking about enjoying the journey of pursuing Jesus again. You were made to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Heaven isn't just a place where we won't cry and we won't sin. It's a place where we will enjoy him. We are going to love heaven. When I was a kid, I used to, when I was really little, I said, Lord Jesus, Jesus, I want you to come back, but not until I get my license. I just want to drive. And then I got my license, and I was like, it's pretty cool. But then it was, Jesus, I want you to come back, but not until I get married. And uh, now that I have three, three kids, I'm like, Jesus, you can come back anytime, anytime. No. But I remember thinking that, like, heaven kind of sounded boring as a kid. Like, there was so much of life to look forward to. And I think that's natural. I, you should want to live. Uh, you should want to do things and all of that. But now I've, I've kind of come to a place. Can you imagine no insecurity in your life? Can you imagine no fear, no lack, no wondering how you're going to pay the bills? No, your whole existence is pure pleasure. And it's healthy. It's like eating ice cream every day, but it's actually healthy. That's heaven. Amazing. Amazing. You're made to enjoy God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom the work that God has done from beginning to end. There's something in us that knows there's more. He makes everything beautiful, and there's something in us that longs for that beauty. You were made to pursue the beauty of Jesus, the glory of God. And I love the promise he gives us in Jeremiah 29, not 11. Jeremiah 29, 13 to 14. He says this, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. This is God's decree. I'm thinking about when to go off and when to stay on the track. One thing I'm, I have learned in the last couple of years is that I have learned. Remember when uh, Edison was inventing the light bulb and he made like 100 mistakes and he said, we haven't failed 100 times. We figured out 100 ways not to make a light bulb. I feel like over the last couple of years, I've realized a hundred ways not to be satisfied. Yeah. 
Um, and realizing and coming to the place where you say, okay, even ministry for God does not satisfy. This does not satisfy me. It doesn't define me. I'm preaching to myself now. You guys can listen, but I need to hear this. It doesn't define me. When there's lots of people here, it doesn't mean I'm a good pastor. And when there's not a lot of people here, it doesn't mean I'm a bad pastor. It does not satisfy me. And that has been a struggle for me over the last few years. I think it's always been a struggle for me, but now I'm over the last couple of years, the Lord in his mercy is saying, hey, this is affecting your journey with me, this, this thinking. We got to deal with this. And, and over the last year and a half or so, I can't think of anything that's happened over the last couple of years, but anything dramatic. But I, I've just come to this place where I've realized this does not satisfy me. I cannot feed on this. And at first it was so scared because I grew up, I was a weird kid that I grew up, um, I played one for you one time. From five years old, I would tape recorder in my room, and I'd line up all my stuffed animals. I would play church. And I'd preach to the stuffed animals, and I'd give altar calls. I have a, there's a great one where I'm, I preach this message, and the stuffed animal comes forward to receive Jesus. <laughs> and I'm telling him that it's wrong to kill people. And the stuffed animal says, oh, I didn't know it was wrong to kill anybody. And I say, well, yes, it's wrong. And you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. You know, I explain the gospel. Well, my mom's in the other room. She doesn't know that I am, I am teaching this person not to All she hears is kill people. And she tells me to stop. And I say, but mom, I'm trying to help him. That's the way the story goes, is what I said. <laughs> this is my, the dream of my life. We'd go to my grandma's house in Pomeroy. I'd stand on, I can remember, I'd stand on the back porch and I'd preach to her garden. And uh, it was the dream of my life to do this with you. And what I realized over the last two years is like, I've come to this. Is this it? I mean, I love you, but is this it? And, uh, and then you start to go, what if I'm not made to do this? If, if my whole life I've looked at this thing, and if I could only do that, if I could only have that, that would be, I'd be so happy. And then you get that thing. Like, if, if nothing else ever happened in my life and I did this, this is my dream. But then you, then you go, if I'm not cut out for this, what else can I do? I'm, I'm not good at anything else. I won't enjoy anything else. If I can't do this, if this doesn't, feed me. If this doesn't sustain me, I have nothing. I am nothing. This is my thing. 
And I've been, war- I've been wrestling through this thing. And I've come to the conclusion that only Jesus can satisfy me. Not the things of Jesus, not the ministry for Jesus, not good Christian living, not a family, not a good job, not a good house, not even good friends. Nothing else can satisfy or sustain my life. If I try to live off of this, I will starve to death. If you try to live off of this, you will starve to death. Only a personal pursuit after the person of Jesus will sustain you will satisfy you. There's a great story in the Bible. I want to talk about this embracing the chase. There's a great story in the Bible about a man who embraced the chase, and he's actually the father of our faith, Abraham. It's, uh, I want to read to you. Out of Genesis 12, this is when God first kind of calls Abram. Before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And this is when God calls him. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God visits this man in his, in his home, where he lives, with his family, all of that. And he says, hey, I want you to come after me. I want you to leave what you know in pursuit of something you've never seen. If you're going to embrace the chase, you've got to leave some stuff. In In this scripture, God calls him out and he says, I want you to go from your country, from your kindred or your family, and from your father's house. When he says, I want you to leave your country, of course, he, he's speaking to his physical location. You need to leave this place. But he's speaking more to, you got to leave the culture that you've grown up in, the value system that you grew up in, your morals, your worldview. You've got to leave all of that. If you want to see the thing I have for you, you've got to lay all of that down. And I think if there's one thing, what God has done over the last two years is he is, um, one of the things he's doing is he's revealing things, exposing things in us, the condition of the church. And one of the things that for me has been a little bit shocking and a little bit discouraging to me is how much the church has actually been discipled by the world. Our culture, our values, our morals, what, how do we decide what's right and wrong is more based on what culture says than what the Bible says. I think it's Francis Schaeffer says, tell me what the world is saying today and I'll tell you what the church will be saying in five years. You might have a value for a certain thing. Okay. But in this journey 
if you're going to embrace a passionate pursuit of Jesus, what if he doesn't care about the thing you care about? What if that is not nearly as important to him as it is to you? All my kids got to get a college education. What if that's not that important to Jesus? What if his version of justice is different than your version of justice? We can't mix. In a chase, here's the thing about a chase. You're not bringing any extra weight, and you're not being distracted by any other thing. Singular focus. Everything and anything I can lay down to make myself that much faster in pursuit. We can have no mixture. There can be no mixture. This is all his way, his heart, his values, his worldview. I really don't care what you think about sex, about justice, about politics. What does God think? What does God think? I don't care what you think church should look like. That's uh, one thing that's been kind of a little bit disturbing just watching the, the church worldwide in all of this is it feels like sort of like what determines church should look like is the conditions on the ground as if God has given us no instructions as to what he wants his church to look like as if it's up to us so let's take a poll like I've heard I've, I've heard things of like hey you know the next generation they're really online they're just they're online people so the next generation of church should be online I don't care what they want. The church is not their bride. What does Jesus want? And scripture is pretty clear about what the church should look like. What does he say it should look like? And if we want to see him, we have to learn to think like him. And I mean, not just think, I wonder what Jesus would think right now, but to actually think like him, where my thinking is like his thinking. We have to learn to think like God. His values are my values. His worldview is my worldview. It's not if I were God, I'd be thinking. It's rejecting our thinking and making his thinking my thinking. Leave your country. And then he says, leave your family. He's talking about your security, your acceptance, your identity, and all of those things that are found in family. Where do you go when you're scared, when you're tired, when you're empty? Over the last two years, where do I go when I'm scared, tired, and empty? I go to Netflix. That's where. I go to my couch with a bucket of ice cream. And I binge watch The Office. That's what I do over and over again. (laughs) 
When he says, leave your, leave your family, he's saying, Abraham, you want to see the land that I have for you, this place you've never seen before that you can't even imagine. If you want to be this great man that, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If you want to be that, and if you want to see that, you have to take away everyone and everything else that you lean on. I have to be the one you look to in those moments where, what are we going to do? You pack up and leave, and oh my goodness, we're lost in the middle of the desert. What am I, where am I going to turn? Who am I going to turn to? I'm the only one. No one else. You have no one else to look to, nowhere else to go. If you're going to be able to, if you're going to chase me, you're not going to be able to lean on anyone but me. And then the last thing he tells him to leave is his father's home. This one is, I think, very specific to his identity. One of the main things that uh, a father does is give identity to his children. Your kids take their father's name. Fathers speak words into their children's life that shape and form their identity. Leave your father's home. So that means whatever your generational uh, history is of, I love, we have a family in, uh, we had a family in Lewiston and um, he said when his kids were young and they would ask, hey, can we go to watch this movie in the theater? And it's like not a movie that they would watch. And uh, they would say, hey, so-and-so went and watched it and they said it was good. He, he would never, he said, I never say no to my kids. I'd say, we're Stoutons. We don't watch stuff like that. And so it, it was rather than saying no, he's speaking identity. He's speaking generational heritage. And he's saying, hey, this is who we are. It's not that, that's, uh, that we can't do stuff. It's that, no, we have an identity over here, and that's not a part of it. That's what fathers do. And it's beautiful and it's important. I think we're seeing right now, we're realizing the impact of a generation or multiple generations of people being raised without fathers. And we're seeing it. We have no moral anchor. We have no footing. We, have, we don't know up and down and male, female. We don't know anything right now because we didn't have fathers saying, this is who you are and this is what you do. But now when we come to Jesus, I'm so grateful for fathers, but when we come to Jesus, we lay all of that down. I'm just not the kind of person that gets excited in worship. Well, um, I, I think you better be. And I, I actually think that your father might beg to differ. I'm just not the kind of person who enjoys prayer. Well, uh, you better, you might, you might want to figure that out. Like, I think you are. Who says you're not? Your father gets to shape you. Your father gets to define you. 
And if he's calling you to do something, it means that is who you are. He knows you better than you know who you are. Your father gets to identify you. And if you're going to be a God chaser, chaser, risk must be our posture. We got to be people who do new things, who try new things. I mean, Abram left the land he knew to go pursue something he had never seen before. That's a risk. His dad could have said, hey, we don't do things like that in this home. What we do now. And embracing the chase, my last point here is embracing the chase is pursuing something you've never seen. I love when God says, a land that I will show you. It's so cool how God works. He says, he, he doesn't, he could have just done like projector uh, video in the sky of this is what it's going to look like a hundred years from now, Abraham. This is the, this is where I'm taking you. Let me sell you on this. And then Abram could have made the equation of, is that life better than the life I have? And do this little formula and figure out, yes, I'm going to follow you because that's better than what I have. And the truth is, if he would have done that, Abram was serving Abram. This is the best choice for me. Right? But here God says, hey, if you will put all your stock in, not the land, but in me, in, I'm telling you right now what I'm going to do. You have no proof. You have never seen where I'm taking you. So your actions right now will define what you believe about me. Not about the land, not about your own life, your own circumstance. What do you believe about me? It's a faith journey. You know this old cliche, the world says seeing is believing, but Jesus says believing is seeing. He says, hey, if you, if you pack up and go, then I will show you a land. He didn't let him say, let me see what you're talking about, and then I'll decide. Pack up, let's go. And uh, as I was preparing this week, just most of you in the room, I don't know everybody, but most of you, I look out and I'm like, okay, we all been, we're kind of, we're not, there's not a lot of rookies in the room. We've been following Jesus for quite a while. And this, as I was preparing, I just felt this question. The Lord actually was challenging me with this question because um, I try really hard to share with you what God's doing in me and to, to me, uh, not just something I think you ought to hear, but what, what God's doing uh, and working into me. This is the question. For all you graybeards, for all of you who've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, here's the question. Do you still believe that there are aspects of God you haven't seen? Do you believe there's more? And I know that up here we say, well, yes, of course I do. I don't care about up here. Abram could have sat in his tent and said, yeah, I believe you that there's a land out there better for me. Okay, pack up. Uh, then you don't believe it. I'm asking you, do you believe God has more for you? Or is this it? Is it are you still searching for a city whose builder and maker is God? Do you still believe in something you haven't seen yet? 
Or are you just trying to keep what God has just already given you? I'm trying to, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would provoke our hearts. Do we actually believe this? Is there still passion in my heart to pursue what I haven't seen yet? It should frustrate you. We, we sing that song um, uh, uh, that has the, you know, uh, you're the one to work, too good to not believe. And we sing the bridge where it's like all the things I've seen, miracle, I've seen cancer disappear, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen. And I'm singing this and it's provoking my heart because I'm like, I've seen some of it. But I hate singing, I've seen metal plates dissolve and go, eh, I, I haven't seen a metal plate dissolve. So do we not sing the song or do we say there's still territory? There's still, a, there's still something out there. There's still a land I haven't seen and I'm on a journey. I'm going to pursue Jesus until I've seen cancer disappear. Until I've seen dead people come back to life. I'm still on a journey. Can Jesus still blow your mind? Does he ever surprise you? Does he ever wow you? Or are you at a place with Jesus where you've been there and you've done that and you're just kind of watching reruns. You know, I, j- I said earlier that I, when I'm stressed out, I go get a bucket of ice cream and I wa- binge watch The Office. And now there is no stress for me when I watch The Office about whether or not Jim and Pam are going to get married. I've been there. I know it all works out. And I wonder if maybe in our faith it's kind of like that, where we're feeding on the old stuff because there's no fear in it. It's not risky. It's safe. We know it all works out. We know, you know, I can just, I can kind of just live in this place of what God showed me 10 years ago and what God did in my life 10 years ago because I know the end of that story. But to actually step out and say, no, I'm, I actually feel like the Holy Spirit's calling me to start a new business. I think God's calling me to quit my job. I think God's calling me to move to a new city. Would we still do that? Or do we just like watching the reruns of the stories where God was faithful, but we know the outcome, so it's like a little less stressful? Can he still blow your mind? I love this. This this Graham Cook quote. This one just like blew my mind this week when I heard this. The number one indicator of a poverty mindset is passivity. It has nothing to do with money. It's about meager possibilities. Have you allowed your faith to become, are you operating out of a poverty spirit? God can only do the things I've seen him do before. And even some of the things I saw him do before, now actually I'm not so sure he did it even. 
I believe in miracles in theory, but I haven't seen them. And we've prayed a lot for them. So I have poverty in that area. It has nothing to do with money. It's about meager possibilities. Our faith has to look like something. The pursuit has to look like something. So this is, so I'm preaching this, we're doing this series, Embrace the Chase. And most of the time when I preach a series, I like to have kind of a, a, a really tangible, like, this is what I'm hoping God does and says to us. And this is the behavior, the change I hope to see in the church based on this. And in this one, I've been really wrestling. Like, God, what's this thing over here? What does this look like? What does it look like if we nail this, if we say, yes, we're going to embrace the chase? What does this look like? And just up here as I'm preaching, I'm realizing, you know what it probably looks like? Some of you moving. Some of you quitting jobs. Some of you starting new things. Some of you leading worship and you've never led worship before. Some of you starting ministries you've never done before. It looks like new things. That's what embracing the chase will look like. I'll know as a church that we've said yes when there's new things happening because we're in new territory. We've packed up and we're moving out and we're doing some new things. We've got some new things on the, on the uh, agenda this year. We're going to start doing um, a service at Christian Aid Center. And so we're going to worship and we're going to have people share their testimony. We're going to serve the folks meals there. We're going to start, uh, Nick's uh, looking at starting Alpha. Like we want to, we, we got to start doing some things. We got to start getting in the game. We got to start chasing something. Or someone. Faith looks like something. We know Abram took God at his word because he packed up his stuff and he began the pursuit. He paid the price. His actions said by faith, I believe what God has for me is better than what I have right now. Can you say that with conviction? I believe that what God has for me is better than what I have right now. Back to the poverty thing. There was a study done once on uh, millionaires who made millions of dollars, lost it all, and made it all again. And what they found was they had this inner belief. They said, I had the ability to make it once. I can figure it out and do it again. It's an abundant mindset. A poverty mindset says, man, it took me years to get here. I'm not going to squander all of this on some new thing. I'm going to hang on to this. I've, I can only imagine meager possibilities. So do we believe that what God has for me is better than what I have right now? If you say I'm chasing God, I say, really? What does that look like? Where's the risk in our lives? Where's the adventure where, man, if God doesn't show up in this thing, where, what part of your life makes your heart pound? I'm preaching to myself right now. I'm so, oof, this is good for me. What adventure are you on? 
What new discoveries are you making? What is something about Jesus you learned yesterday that you didn't know? A side of him you saw that you had never seen before. A situation where he came through in a way you've never seen him come through before. Everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to be in a situation where a miracle is required. I want the story without all the risk. And it can't happen that way. What land are you seeing that you've never seen before? Another thing I find interesting is, you know, who gave Abram his country, his family, and his father's home? They're gifts from God. It wasn't an accident that Abram was born in the family he was born into, that his father's house and, and the country he was in. God orchestrated all, everything, everything was a gift from God. Everything God asked Abram to surrender came from God. And I, I think, I honestly, I think sometimes the biggest thing that keeps believers from pursuing Jesus is the blessing of Jesus. He delivers you out of darkness, out of hopelessness, out of loneliness. He puts you in the family of God. He gives you, he puts people around you, surrounds you, and, and, he, and he puts you in a place of safety where he can heal you and restore you. And then you just set up shop right there and never move. The blessings of God. Remember, I think it was last week, I, I just briefly touched on this. The Israelites were in Egypt before they were slaves because God used Egypt to bless Israel. The blessing of God became the master of Israel. When they overstayed, when they stayed longer than they should have, when they, they, when they didn't move on from that thing that was a temporary uh, season of what God was doing, they stayed longer than they should have and they became slaves to it. What is the thing that like you're still breathing CPR into this old word God gave you 50 years ago and trying to keep that thing going when he's like, I actually got something new for you. Maybe you're being held back because you're struggling to surrender what God gave you. Finances, status, identity, influence, ministry. You know, just thinking about the life of Abraham. You know, one, command, one word from Abraham was, hey, take your son Isaac, put him on that altar and sacrifice him. That was a word from God. How many of you know that Isaac is very happy that Abraham heard from God again? If he was living in that old word at this moment, Isaac's very happy that Abraham heard that. Whoa, 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 stop. I got a new word for you. What if the thing that God spoke to you 50 years ago is like, okay, that season's over. It's time to embrace the chase. It's time to go out into new territory, take new territory for the kingdom. It's time to take some risks. It's about saying, I want more. I'm grateful, but I'm not satisfied. 
It's not about just being saved or being a good Christian. It's a relentless pursuit of all that God has for you. Every blessing God has given me is just an opportunity to give an offering on my way to something greater. So if I were to ask you this morning, if you're embracing the chase, how would you prove it? I don't mean 30 years ago you sacrificed all your relationships to follow Jesus. I mean right here, right now, today, are you still pursuing Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you still love Jesus? Of course you do. He's your savior. What I'm asking is, is he your leader? Are you following him? Are you pursuing him? Are you moving? Are you going somewhere? What risks are you taking today to chase God? Are you still captured by a vision you haven't seen yet? I quoted this earlier, but in Hebrews, describing Abraham, it says, His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Something prophetically inside of him, I believe he saw the church. He saw this city whose builder and maker is God. He saw into the future and he said, there's something out there. God is building something and I'm on this pursuit I'm going to spend my whole life chasing a city whose builder and maker is God. And this chase lasted 500 years until his descendants would finally enter into the promised land. Are we willing to engage in, multi, in a multi-generational pursuit? Are you willing to lay your life down in pursuit of something you might never see? a journey that might not be completed in your lifetime. Let me tell you what my heart is burning for. My heart burns for a glorious church, a community of believers so marked by his presence and the power of God that nothing else satisfies. Where real, deep love is shared, where authority empowers but doesn't exploit or abuse, where miracles are normal, salvation happens daily, where it's harder to stay bound than it is to get free. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I don't know how to get there, but I know, I have to know it's there. And I'm in pursuit. What do you burn for? What do you burn for? Close with this verse. Paul writes in Philippians, not that I've already obtained this. In other words, I haven't arrived. I'm still pursuing something. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I pursue him because he pursued me. So Lord Jesus, right now I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you provoke our hearts
Lord, I, 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 I believe there's some people in the room that God has been pushing on some things. And it doesn't make sense. Like there's some things that maybe there's not life in it anymore. And, and you're feeling this like, am I supposed to lay this down? But it doesn't make sense. I just feel like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, embrace the chase. Take the risk. Step out and see what I'll do. Yeah, I, I, I just feel like the Lord is saying this morning, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. But we can't stir our own hearts. We can't muster up passion. We don't want to fake it. We don't want to uh, pretend. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, would you put inside each and every one of us a holy dissatisfaction for the place we've been living in? The spiritual country family, and father's house we've been living in, that there would be this dissatisfaction and this longing for more. Lord, we want to pursue you with all that we have. And Lord, as a close, I just want to remind you of your promise. You said in your word, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God, we lay down every weight that hinders us, every burden, every religious obligation, every box we've put you in. We just surrender now. And Lord, we say, wherever you want to take me. We just say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Put me where you want me. We're stepping into the race again. We're embracing our pursuit of you. We're embracing the chase with all of our hearts. Take us on an adventure, God. And we just surrender any poverty of thinking right now. And we embrace divine imagination about our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have an awesome week, everybody. You're amazing.